0: Today's episode of the Hot Forward podcast is proudly sponsored by Nincassi Rentals and Finance. Stay tuned to find out more about CO2 recapture in your brew house. I'm Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hot Forward is a show entirely dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a beer and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Greetings, brewers and beer geeks, and welcome to another sesh on the Hop Forward podcast. Sales is the lifeblood of any business. Whether you're an estate agent like I was for my sins, or you're in the business of beer, unless you can sell what you produce, then you're running nothing but a glorified hobby. One question that arises time and time again from breweries, no matter how big or small, is how do we get more sales? I wish I could tell you there is a silver bullet, a winning formula, a five-step process that will guarantee more beer sales for you and your brewery. And if you're anything like me, you may be inundated with targeted adverts on YouTube that sound a little something like this, holding out that promise.
1: You need sales for you and your brewery looking for that winning sales strategy that guarantees every drop of beer you made makes you money we've sold over a zillion hectoliters to people who don't even drink beer with our five-step program you'll be out selling putty in no time every time sell beer get rich quick beer more profitable
0: as much as we'd love it if every beer we release sold itself, with people falling over themselves to snaffle cans from fridges and drain to the dregs kegs of our latest IPA, if there's one conclusion I've drawn over the years, it's this there is no magic formula. To get more sales, it is a combination of making great beer, providing excellent customer service, having a brand that is aligned with your values and the customer resonates with, marketing that speaks to them and most of all, building meaningful relationships that grease the wheels of commerce. And I'm just talking business to business. The business to consumer sales journey has many similarities and yet is wonderfully different all at the same time. If I were to ask you listening to this, tell me about your sales process. I'm confident that your answers would be very different to the next person and brewery. If you tuned into our fermenting Thoughts last week, you'll have heard myself and Sean talking a bit about sales and the challenges that brewers face when it comes to shifting beer. But I wanted to expand on that further this week by talking to a brewery owner about their experience selling beer to trade. Father and son Mike and George Brooke purchased a brewery and taproom in November 2018 in the city of Sheffield. At the time, the brew house and space, formerly known as Sentinel Brew House, at the time, the brew house and the space from what was formerly known as Sentinel Brew House had become available to purchase, having suffered a turbulent few years. It's a long and complicated backstory, which you can listen to on the Hot 4 podcast by venturing all the way back to episode 4 with Alex Barlow. And I recommend you go back and listen to that just to put into context some of the discussions we have today. But in this episode, you'll hear how Triple Point Brewery had to work through rebuilding relationships within the trade and work hard to communicate that the brewery was not another iteration of Sentinel Brew House under a new trading name, but a brand new brewery under different ownership with a fresh vision for the beers they would make and the space that they inhabited. It has been a long journey for the team, which has included many challenges such as the COVID pandemic and now the cost of living. But Triple Point have continued to overcome adversity and the challenges presented to them, winning awards for their fantastic beers, ever expanding their capacity, and gaining a solid reputation across the UK and beyond as a brewery who really are all about the beer. I hope you get a lot out of today's discussion with myself and George Brooke, who is the sales director of Triple Point. There's so much meat on the bone to take away from this to help you to grow your brewery and your business's sales. Just a quick note to say that for the first five minutes of our discussion, there's a fair bit of background noise. We were sighting in the brewery, they started doing some cask washing, so we decided to relocate to another room where it's much quieter and the audio quality is much better. At some point, you will hear the sound of Guns N' Roses November rain coming in the background, but I'm sure that's a welcome addition, isn't it? Before we hop into that discussion, I'd like to welcome James from Nikasi Rentals and Finance again this week to talk about CO2 Recapture. Hello. Hey, Nick. How are you doing this week?
1: Yeah, not too bad. A bit wet, to be honest. <laughs>
0: yeah. Today, we're going to look at CO2 Recapture. Uh, before we do, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a bit about Nikasi Rentals and Finance?
1: I'm James. I've worked within rental businesses for nearly 20 years. I've been in the craft brewing sector for nearly 10. Uh, I ran eCasks for five years and now I'm proud to be the MD for Ninkasi Rentals and Finance. Ninkasi is primarily a fermentation rental company. CO2 for us is no different. Our customers started asking us about it last year for obvious reasons. Thankfully, we were already halfway through a technical project when the pricing went crazy. So we spent a lot of time at the end of last year completing research and due diligence and came back to our customers at the back end of last year and were able to offer a CO2 recovery package that really worked for them. Now we're opening that offer out to the wider industry to try and help anyone that's interested in recovering their CO2. As you've alluded to, there's no hiding from the fact that CO2 prices have
0: not only shot up, but at certain periods. And I seem to recall this happening through, it was Euros, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Where there was like no... CO2 anywhere
1: for anyone yeah. you know, at the total wrong time of the year. It's happened significantly more times than you imagine, especially oh, really? over the last five years. Yeah, I mean, I remember, oh, about six, seven years, five, six years ago when the last really big CO2 shortage where the CO2 plants in France, I think it was, shut down for maintenance at exactly the same time. There's three main plants, the CO2, and two of them shut down at the same time. And I remember um, some friends of mine at Sintostel driving all the way up to Ledbury to pick up a single bottle of CO2, which wow. I had in, in ECAS at the time, purely so that they could complete their bottling run. No
0: way. That's
1: how desperate it got, you know, from Cornwall to Ledbury, four and a half hours just for a single bottle of CO2. There was none anywhere. So yeah, it's been around for a while.
0: I think it's ironic, given that a byproduct of fermentation is, lo and behold, carbon dioxide. It's interesting that we're going to talk about CO2 recapture, but it's not just a case, is it, simply of hooking up a a cylinder to fermenter and harnessing all that excess CO2? Like, yes, you know, I've got some carbon dioxide now. It's way more complicated than that. So first off, because I know nothing about it, and it captured my interest when I saw Ramsgate Brewery have installed one of these. Can you talk us through the CO2 recapturing process?
1: Yeah, well, look, Eddie's got a a Dallin unit, which is actually the people who we're working with. And it's actually not that far from being as simple as you make it out. I'm going to get quite technical for that. I apologize. But obviously, what you really need is the right equipment. So we've been working with Dallin, who are one of the leading companies of bringing CO2 recapture to the craft brewing market. The process is actually quite simple. The fermenters are connected via pipework to a collection station, which in in essence is a series of non-return and spunding valves, which amalgamates the CO2, collected from the fermenters, and then feeds it directly into the CO2 recovery machine. Um, While I can only really talk about the Dallin technology, having worked so closely with Kim and his team, the Dallin unit will then automatically measure the CO2 from the incoming gas source. And once it's at a level of less than 0.6%, will start to draw the gas into the recapture machine. It will then go through several processes to remove any impurities in the incoming gas. The gas is then dried and compressed into a liquid form at around 35 to 45 bar pressure. Mm. This is then collected into a CO2 storage tank, ready for reuse by the brewery through, the, through their day-to-day process. Now, of course, the down machine, I'm simplifying the process for ease, but What I think is important is highlighting not only the fact that the system is fully automated, but it's also really reliable. Right.
0: So how easy is it to install one of these units in your brew house and what kind of space does it take up?
1: Um, It's really incredibly simple to set up, to be honest. Um, Nincathe have already been in, completed a full site survey and discussed all the options available with the brewer. We obviously then have to be able to control the gas flow in both directions and ensure that there's suitable storage for the collected gas. I and mean, in terms of space, uh, the units are quite small. I mean, they're one by one by three metres tall, but, but they can't just be put anywhere. They need access to power, water and drainage and should be within a reasonable distance of the storage tanks to maximise efficiency. All of this, I think Cassie would go through with a site survey and detailed discussions with the proposal. It's also at this stage that we discuss all the routes to ownership with the brewer, what would work best for them in terms of their cash flow and current business strategy. Ultimately, we're focused on being part of the craft brewing community and therefore we're there to help support and develop the industry alongside our customers. And
0: there, are there any like waste products from CO2 recapture? You, you mentioned water, so I'm, I'm guessing some kind of... Um, in a similar way a condenser might work like yeah okay. exactly that yeah,
1: yeah. no no you, you're exactly right so it is it is condensing the co2 it releases the water so you do have to have a water feed and direct to drainage but other than that you get co2 in you get co2 out the impurities that it it removes are just moved, removed to atmosphere they're vented off um and, and there's no risk from that point of view
0: right So given that CO2 recapturing technology has existed for around 30 years, which is quite a long time, why isn't it more prevalent in the craft brewing industry?
1: Simply size, scale and money, to be honest. I mean, you're right, the larger breweries have had the advantage of this technology for years. When I first came into the sector nearly 10 years ago, it amazed me that craft brewers didn't harness their CO2 but I quickly came to realize that previous iterations of this technology was only designed for large-scale brewers. Mm. Even up to three years ago, this was still true. I, I went to uh, Brow three years ago, so 2019. There was no uh, craft brewing CO2 technology around. Um, However, within the last few years, new players have come to the market, and, and we looked at all the options. I mean, Earthly Labs in the U.S. was the first that came onto our radar. Uh, and we spoke to them at DrinkTech in November, uh, but they explained to us that they really weren't ready to move into the UK at that point. They were concentrating on the Canadian market for obvious reasons. And mm. um, There's there's Hypro from India who have done some large scale installations for the multinational brewers. For me, I found that Dalham had a much better offering in terms of technology, customer service and actual response time. I personally like to do business with people I can trust and talk to sometimes i find the larger organizations that they're, they're more removed from actual customers mm. and and dalham were definitely very customer focused super so has one of these dalham co2 recapture units
0: installed What kind of return on investment can they expect to yield from the co2 the recovering from fermentation and are there any like roadblocks or red tape that stop brewers then reselling that CO2 either to other breweries or hospitality venues that dispense carbonated beverages?
1: Okay, so um, and A, that's really a two-part question, and B, it also becomes, again, quite technical. But yeah. if I break it down, so return of investment will obviously be different for every brewery, as your return will be impacted by both your demand requirements and also your production levels. We've typically seen that breweries are producing about four times as much CO2 as they're using. So supply generally is guaranteed. The question is about the size of equipment required and the setup needed. I mean, You mentioned Eddie from Ramsgate earlier. Um, he's done a, a, a lot of work on this, especially on the Dalham unit. And he did a piece in the um, Ciba Journal um, a couple of weeks ago. And he said that he expects a return on investment after four years. However, he also admits that he's not brewing a large volume. So if he was, return would be much quicker. Right. So I think it's really chicken and egg in terms of ROI. Yep. As you mentioned before, I think it's alongside the financials, which are, of course, important. But the key drivers that brewers should be thinking about is more the volatility in the UK CO2 market, both in terms of price, but more importantly, in terms of supply. We, we were talking about and we've seen the numbers of CO2 shortages in the last five years or so such an essential part of craft brewers' ability to supply their customers is dependent on CO2 manufacturers supplying them. Hmm. Being able to take back control would be a key strategic decision if I was a board member of a brewery. If you then consider that the green tax credits that are due to be brought in the UK government over the next four years, mitigating some of the impact of being a CO2 producer would also be part of my strategic plan to protect the, the business moving forward. Now, I know this is a long answer, but you asked a big question. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> the second part to your question was about reselling CO2.
2: Mm.
1: We get. I'm sorry to your listeners, but we again go technical. Um, I initially thought that this would be a sensible step in the evolution of the process. Actually, the more I research into it, the more challenges I come across. For instance, if you wish to sell your CO2, you have to have it classified by grade. You must be able to show source. You must be able to show purity, have every new batch analyzed, show production parameters. Everything has to be labeled. Presuming that all of this is done, you then need to be able to store it. The obvious answer is bottles. But the bottle owners are currently gas companies who are not going to be very happy with the brewery backfilling their equipment. Hmm. So you would then need your own bottles. So now as a brewer, you would need a fleet of bottles, very much like kegs and casks, once you get to that stage, once you've done all of that due diligence, you're at that stage, you've got your own bottles, you then need to be able to transport it. Well, transporting a few bottles to the local pub can be done relatively easily. But if you're also the producer, you'll need to follow the BCGA Code of Practice CP27. I know, it's fascinating. <laughs> I've done all of this research. Oh, I'm well done with that code. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, no. Honestly, it's a lovely document. But then you've got to follow all of the health and safety guidelines by the DSE, and out of that you have to consider how you'd fill the containers, and you then come to the fact that you're now then going to be breaking a fixed system. And once you break that fixed system, to in and remove a bottle, that in itself presents a problem from the pressure directive checks and sign offs that the system would have been installed to. So really, really simple, as you can probably tell. But then if your logic is to fill transport tanks of CO2 directly from the machine, then you have the same issues but on a much larger scale how are you going to fill them who's going to own the tanks where would the gas go and as existing co2 storage tanks are all owned and the owners will not allow third parties to fill their containers with gas ultimately i see this as a great idea for down the road today the technology the system and the processes just aren't in place and as electric cars teach us, it will take a huge amount of investment and time to get us to a place where CO2 can be traded as a commodity. Where I personally see a lot of very interesting options in reusing CO2 is through algae and other plant-based harvesting. The plants can then use the CO2 to grow, and brewers can either sell the plants or use them in the brewery, or just appreciate that they're turning CO2 into O2, which will have a positive impact on environment and their green tax credits. This has been done successfully in Australia, and although the technology isn't in the UK yet, it is something that we think would be perfect for a lot of craft brewers, but we've got to get to that stage first mm, you know yeah. it, it's almost like putting the cart before the horse if you see my yeah. point
0: well i saw that on the the australian brewery on bbc news a while ago i think i even reached out to them they never got back to me um about having them on the podcast cuz I was, I was fascinated with
1: the concept it's, it's it's brilliant and 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 if you look at the algae containers that they've got they're relatively small scale they're converting it into O2 and with the green tax credits that are coming through, if you as a brewer can prove that actually you're not a producer of CO2 anymore, you're producing pure O2, that goes a hell of a long way and Mm -hmm. and, and will eliminate quite a lot of liability. Um, I think the idea of moving CO2 between breweries and producers, I love the idea. I just love the simplicity of it. I think, I think there's an awful lot more underneath it that people need to be aware of.
0: Yeah. So in a nutshell, to take a vegetable as an example, then um, it's fine to grow and eat your own potatoes, but don't go try selling to someone else because there's just loads of red tape and hassle involved.
1: Abs- uh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I'm sure that you're, you're, the brewers that are listening will quite understand when you're manufacturing something, the red tape that comes out of once you've started manufacturing it is a lot more difficult than the uh, than the guy that that is just brewing it in his basement. Oh, it's, know, it's giving yeah, it to friends.
0: It's um, it's a huge, it's a big enough pain in the ass running a brewery as it is without then running a CO two company as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then you've got the transport logistics. You've got all the other issues that come out of that. Yeah, I yeah. I don't doubt that in the future brewers will be sources of CO two. I don't doubt that, mm. but I think at this stage. I wouldn't, in all honesty, be able to provide somebody with a CO2 recovery unit and use that as a backstop to the sale because I don't think that's fair. So I've got a
0: couple more questions about it then. Um, yeah, go for do, it. Do brewers have to change any of their fermentation regimes to facilitate the capture of CO2? I mean, I presume this only works with pressurized vessels rather than open-top fermenters, right?
1: Yeah, no, no, you're, you're right. Open-top fermenters are unfortunately not going to work as the CO2 needs to be collected in a controlled environment. But as long as you have pressurated vessels or tanks, whatever you want to call them, then you're good to go.
0: Right. And how does that work in terms of fermenting under pressure? Do they have to have it effectively, if they're going to recapture it, does it have to ferment under pressure?
1: Again, as a, as a supplier, I'm not a brewer. Hmm. So I can only lean on on what Dallum and at Ramsgate have told me. So Dallum's unit will operate on 0.1 bar pressure. So actually, technically not under pressure, so it's about atmospheric.
0: Right.
1: Um, however, at Ramsgate in his article was saying that he operates at about 0.25, mm-hmm. which technically is then brewing under pressure and obviously then could have some impact on yeast and flavor profiles and all of that. In the article, he said that it hasn't done for him, and he's been testing, and actually he was saying that his beer has never tasted so good, so maybe he's found the secret, I think a lot of brewers will be worried about brewing under 0.25 bar of pressure. As Eddie says, I think just try it and see because you're never going to know unless you try. Yep. You don't want to invest in this amount of capital equipment unless you've at least tried it. So small batch, pilot brew, test it, make sure that you're happy with the flavor profiles because actually 0.25 bar of pressure isn't an awful lot.
0: Yeah. And finally then, how much of a game change do you think this is for breweries in the craft beer industry, and where on a brewery's priority list should a CO two recapture system sit when it comes to investing in the next piece of equipment for their brew house?
1: And so that's again quite a deep question. Mm-hmm. Every brewery will be different, right? I mean, especially in the current climate. So where it sit will be totally dependent on what stage a brewery currently finds themselves in. If the brewery is looking for quick win or something to grow the revenue or the brand, then I don't think this is a project for them. I'd suggest tap rooms, guerrilla marketing. And a clear and concise sales plan executed well would be where I would invest. However, if my brewery was stable and I was looking to use 2023 as a platform to build the brewery and to look to the next five years, I'm not now thinking about I've got to survive. I'm looking about how I thrive. Hmm. Um, then I'd certainly have this in my top five. The challenge, I think, would be that CO2 prices have stabilized again, and therefore the push isn't as strong. But as we mentioned at the very start of this, inevitably prices will surge again, or capacity will become limited. Strangely enough, driving price, it all comes down to that price, doesn't it? And at that stage, the whole market moved to CO2 recapture, at which point, if you haven't looked at it or done your due diligence, you're behind everybody else. So me, I'd be looking at the options, doing my due diligence, and then at least I know where I sit, where my brewery is, what I actually need, what the costs are going to be involved. Even if I'm not making the decision now, I've already done the legwork. Yeah. If the business decision is to hold off, at least your business is one step ahead of the competition when the inevitable CO2 price increase or government green tax really starts to impact your market. Brewers who start this journey early will look that point have realized the value of their capital investiture and will be smiling all the way to the bank. And the other option of course is that Nick Cassie can provide you with a full service finance solution which allows you to keep your capital for other areas of rapid growth or is reserved during economic uncertainty while also building a platform for your brewery to succeed over the next period of GDPR growth. To answer all of your questions in one simple phrase, I should use the word of Eddie from Ramsgate who when asked said, in his opinion as an engineer turned brewer, the Dallas machine is awesome.
0: Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us on the show again this week to talk about CO2 recapture. If anyone out there is wanting to recapture their CO2 and looking to rent one of these machines, how can you do
1: that? Just by talking to us. I'm sure most of your listeners will know either Paul or I um, from Ninkasi. <laughs> We're at enough events come and talk to us uh, go onto the website www.ningcassierentals.co.uk usual search engines usual social media platforms you know or just pick up the phone it's just the easiest way to talk to somebody we're all human no automated responses here and just ask us questions we are always happy to help
0: and i presume you guys will be at ciba this year if you're in oh the, yeah the, abso- absolutely
1: is- yeah absolutely we'll be at BRX this year we actually think that Dalham are going to be there as well. We think that Dalham are going to be doing a presentation alongside Eddie from Ramsgate. We've offered Dalham some space on our stand. So Kim is hopefully going to be there to actually answer your questions. So we're very much investing in this for the brewers to really try and help guide people and really give them all the options.
0: Here at Hot Forward, we are as passionate about brewing a great business as much as we are about making great beer. We're creative beer specialists, offering marketing, branding, and commercial development for breweries and beer businesses of all shapes and sizes. We're here to help you grow your beer business in a profitable and sustainable way. With experience in brand building, marketing and design, business development, and commercial brewing, we can help you in the following areas brand development, marketing strategies, brewery consultancy and commercial success. I'm Nick, and I'm Sean, and we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Visit hotforward.beer today to find out more. Thanks for your time, and we look forward to hearing from you soon. I'm here with George from Triple Point Brewing in your lovely brewery chat room. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. How are you?
2: Yeah, very well, thank you very much.
0: Awesome. So for those unfamiliar with Triple Point, can you give us a lowdown on who you are, what kind of brew you've got? I mean it is very shiny and very nice. I've been here a few times, um, but for anyone that's listening, just give us a lowdown on what, what kind of brew kit you've got, what type your setup is like, and what kind of beers you make.
2: Sure, so I'm probably not the best person for getting to the uh, nitty-gritty of the brew kit, but it's a 25 pack uh, brew length, um, largely designed to do lagers and you can kind have of keg beers. Um, we can't use whole leaf, so we, only, we can only use T90s, uh, okay. uh, cryos, all that kind of thing. Uh, basically pelleted hops. Um, we've got a couple of, well, 350s now, we've just got another one. Uh three 50 vessels and four twenty fives, 25s. Um, and then we've got uh, four serving vessels in the tap room that go straight to the bar.
0: Awesome. Brilliant. with some of the beers that you make, you talk about lagers. I know yeah. Alex, who's your brewer, that's quite a specialty of his. But talk me through some of the lagers you make, and particularly the, the new one that you've just released. Yeah,
2: uh, the Mardi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mardi. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the big, the biggest seller for us and our flagship beer, I guess, is our Hells Lager mm. at four one. I know for some people, four one doesn't really constitute your traditional German Hells but then we also use Amarillo, Cry Amarillo in it, so it's already not. <laughs> Traditional Hell's is very much like uh, an anglicised craft Hell's lager, I guess. But that's like the biggest beer that we do. It takes up a lot of our capacity. Probably makes up about 35% of our total sales. That's right. We love lager, really, here. And I know that, like, it's really hard to sell, but once you do get it, in somewhere and they like it. it, you know, it's brilliant. It's your absolute bread and butter. And for our tap room as well, that was a, and you see a lot of breweries that are coming into it. A lot of the kind of modern craft breweries are doing lagers now in whatever iteration. I mean, Daya's, uh, I think, Tappy Pills. Right. Which is absolutely brilliant. But I mean, you wouldn't have ever seen Daya three or four years ago doing a lager, but it's because we've all got tap rooms now. Yeah. And you don't want to be buying someone else's beer because like it or not, if you're in any kind of city, lager is going to be the biggest selling product. Yeah. So for us, it was, it was partly stemmed by passion, partly stemmed by the fact that it is just the biggest thing that people drink on a, on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. So with the Hells, we've tried to go quite down the middle with it, but put a little bit of our own spin on it. But with a lot of the other lagers that we're doing, we are trying some pretty experimental stuff. So we've done a couple of Baltic porters. We've got a Vienna, Br- Vienna lager, which went down Amazingly well, we were really really shocked by how well that went down. You know, rich kind of caramel, mm. beautiful, beautiful for the winter. So, we've got one of those going, which will be ready early in the new year. Um, we've done another couple of black lagers, and our jatet pilsner is uh, another big one that we, we kind of nail on. Um, we're using some jatet, it's called jatet after where we get the hops from, which right. is a little town in the Czech Republic. Um, and we're their only uk customer oh wow yeah 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 so so and alex knows them petra is the, the name of the woman who owns it and it's their little family hop farm wow. i mean i think it's okay. quite big actually i'm saying it's little yeah, because yeah. it's it's minute in because it's in the Czech republic i like to think of it yeah. as a small little farmhouse <laughs> but it's probably a proper hop farm i don't know um, but you get a real you know beautiful kind of sartsy mm. slight spice to it but a load of floral notes and, and that's a real flagship of ours
0: yeah, I'm talking about Mardi. Which for anyone listening to this, that's not from Sheffield. M- Mardi. How would you describe Mardi? It's like a Mardi Bum.
2: Well, to, to be honest, it came from. You've probably everyone's probably heard of Madri. Yes. Um, and we just thought, without being too contentious, it's a beer brewed in the UK. No one in Spain knows what it is. Uh, and it, I, you know, the, the real thing is, we really like Madri. It's a nice beer. And I don't understand why they couldn't have just marketed it as being from the UK, because that's what it is. And so we kind of, you know, took the mick a little bit with that and just said, well, how can we do the same thing but make it properly Sheffield? So it's a similar strength. I mean, it's not really the same beer. It's in that, you know, it's a 4.5% lager. But the whole focus of that was really just to be proud of where you were brewing the beer. And there's no reason why all, you know, and all, if you go into any macro kind of pub, that every lager on there, there's nothing from the UK. And I think that's crazy. I think that's absolutely nuts. Mm. Um, so that's the, that's, because it's all brewed here. So, and most of it's designed here, you know? Um, classic examples like your Foster's that's, that's no one in Australia has ever heard of. Yep. So, yeah, that's a big thing with the, with the Mardi was, was it' slightly, you know, poking fun at, at the big boys, but also, like, brewing a really great beer which just celebrates where it's from. Mm. Um, you know, the brew, the brew kit, I shouldn't mention this really, is, is made of stainless steel from Sheffield. So is it? it? Yeah, it's Sheffield stainless, Sheffield yeah. waters. you know, brewed in Sheffield, Sheffield pride, all that kind of thing. And, that, and that's really nice, you know, without going down the Sheffield best, really trad route of it. So like how do you kind of, be proud of where you're brewing and where you're from. And that
0: is Sheffield for us. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a really quality name. I remember when I first saw it, I thought, it's brilliant. because I, I, I only came across Madry. it was earlier this year. It's not, it's not been out
2: on taps that long, has it? I, like, new... I think you'd be surprised, actually. Because I, I went into it with that exact same right. thought process. But, but actually, I think it has been around since probably 2020. So right, it, is, okay. it has been around for a couple of years, maybe even a bit more. But as you say
0: not for ages um, just had a bit of a rebrand and a, a refresh and yeah
2: Yeah.
0: right so uh, we, yeah we were talking about Madri um, for any listeners that can tell that there's less sound in the background now we've, we've uh, relocated because it's starting to get a little bit loud with the are you kegging
2: or casking or something today or Uh yeah we just had a canning run so we're just basically emptying the tank now right. with our new oh, it's a bit weird it's a it's a blend between a barrel-aged imperial stout that we brewed early in the year and it's just come out of barrels and um, a triple chop porter that we're releasing that we've done you know we've got every time that we've done these chocolate porters in the past i never think we've gone quite far enough and I think we might have done this time right. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's very chocolatey um, but the, and the blend is again like something that we we have never done a blend before um for for release yeah yeah. but this one really really works so we're really really excited about it i might be one of the best beers that we've done i think so we'll see
0: you did a um it might have been a chocolate porter was a chocolate something or other with the was it bullion
2: yeah so we always collab with bullion when we do these chocolate beers firstly because the chocolate's good but secondly because they're just lovely you know really nice This max he's absolutely a lovely bloke and it makes yeah very
0: good chocolate. Yeah, so, there you go. I mean that i remember well. Obviously, it had a lasting impression on me that I can remember it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm not bl- just blowing smoke up your ass. Cause I'm here. But like you know, I've had some really good beers from Triple Point. Like I the other day I had it was an Imperial Stout which I think was whiskey barrel aged with co- oh, it's coffee. Just,
2: just the imp, yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's, that, was, that was really nice. Yeah, I love how you get some acidity from the coffee in it as well. Well, uh, it's
2: an interesting, I mean, it's kind of a, so this is a, that was the first use of these barrels. Right. This uh, beer they were released the second use. It's a shame because a couple of the barrels had spoiled, so we couldn't do it as its own release. We just didn't have enough beer. So that's, you know, hence the blend. But to be honest, it spiraled out of control a little bit, like the you know, the strength of it, it got to like 12. So it was probably a good thing that we're blending it because I think, you know, we'd have found it really hard to sell yeah. uh, at 12%. So now it's going to be down at the low, low ABV of about 10. So still got a bit to it. My only criticism with the old Impy that we did was that I thought it was really nice, but it picked up so much barrel character. Mm. Uh, and so much oakiness, and, which was really nice, and the coffee gave it a bit of an acidity, but I think there the was like, I think you pick up a little bit of cherry from all of these whiskey casks, and I think that we maybe picked up, for me, so much that it became slightly polarizing. So... Oh, that's interesting. So it wasn't, you know, you look at a lot of the beers that are coming out in that impy area, and a lot of them are, you know, lactose laden. Mm really sweet beers and that's not really something that we we want to go into but i think possibly that mp was slightly too on the opposite side so some people absolutely love it do you know the real die hard you know barrel age guys and girls absolutely loved it but the um yeah i think this one's slightly more accessible right but still having a load of character i don't think we've lost anything Mm. i hope but I think we've maybe gained a little bit in terms of the depth of flavour. It's really, you know, thick as well, which we didn't get with the other one. Slightly thin, uh, I thought, but really flavourful.
0: It's interesting you say because I've, I've had it twice, and I remember I had it when it first came out, and what you just said about the sweetness, or like thereof, hit me, because I've got a sweet tooth and I'm impartial to a good imperial stout. And I remember having it thinking, this is nice, but it's not like what i expected so maybe i felt a little bit i don't say let down that's too strong a phrase but like i it it threw me a curveball yeah i had it again recently and it's it's mellowed out a lot absolutely Um, absolutely
2: uh, i mean it's interesting if you look at i mean i know you're not allowed to say that you look at untaps, but every brewer does Mm -hmm. we do um a lot and um the the ratings for it have gone up generally it started off pretty poor and, it, and as people have drunk it, like, you know, longer and longer and longer, it's gone up and up and up. Uh, it's quite interesting, really. We have actually got the release of the unbarrel aged version of this beer as well, which right. we've been just letting lie, basically, on that learning. Mm. So we canned it at the start of the year, and we've just had it in cold store for, like, nine months, just waiting. Because we didn't, we, firstly, we didn't want to release it in the summer. Yeah. But secondly, because we actually think it's going to be a better beer, which is really... We're we're all getting a bit fancy now, you know. When we first started, it was all just about brewing beer, getting it out, and now we're bloody lying down beers for a year, which is is just (laughs) like, How's that happened? Yeah, (laughs) but anyway, that's what we've done. Yeah, well,
0: well, I mean, there's a a few topics I'd love to tackle today, so but let's jump back to the start, um, as you alluded to then. So, I'd I'd love to chat about the journey of the brewery and uh, from when you and your dad bought what was Sentinel. Yeah. And it's in, interesting because in this very room that I'm sitting now, I think it was the fourth episode of the Hot 4 podcast, <laughs> I recorded with Alex Barlow, oh, really? who's yeah your, your brewer. And I think, if I remember rightly, Sentinel had gone into a voluntary creditors agreement and then, I can't mem- exactly remember all the details, but I managed to keep trading afterwards. And I remember chatting to Alex about what that experience was like. So if anyone's listened to this, can go back and hear Alex talk about his experience, but obviously that ended Sentinel and Bruco, and then you, you in essence bought the brewery. So it's a completely different business.
2: Yeah. So it it was a really crazy time taking it on because it wasn't anything that you know either dad or I had ever imagined doing until about a month before we bought the thing.
0: What? Not even running a brewery. So it was literally
2: a month before it's like oh, it's a brewery for sale. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's weird, you know, I reflect on it a lot and, and looking back, it was really, really hard. We had never, you know, I, I'd only been to Sheffield, you know, a few times to visit mates at uni. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's got a real heritage, of a brilliant beer city, but it just wasn't something that, that I'd spent time doing. And basically we heard, my auntie and uncle in the brewing industry. They, they knew Alex from a previous life at, at Molson Coors, I think they were and um they heard that this kit they, i think a lot of people had heard about the kit because it was very pretty yeah um you know you come in and you can really see it when you're in the tap room and all that kind of thing um and basically heard that this business had gone under and it was on the verge of i think they were initially interested in just taking the kit right um you know because it's it's very nice ripping out and putting it somewhere else and i think the whole business was really complicated because it split um, so the brewery is one business, the bar is another business. Right. So yeah, we kind of came in and it was about to be ripped apart, I think was the thing. And I, I kind of come and look at it, looked at it for them. And then they decided that they went into it, my aunt and uncle. And so basically dad and I kind of sat down and just thought he was, he just left his previous role. I was about to start a job in London and this kit in situ in, in the brewery Because, you know, I'm sure any brewers listen to this, the amount of bloody infrastructure that goes into (laughs) setting up a brewery is staggering. So the the divorce cost was huge because the landlord was gonna have to pay for the whole thing to be repurposed. Uh, Someone was gonna have to pay to rip out the brewing kit and move it and install it somewhere else. And the whole building is like, you know, it's it's on the edge of the city center and it was gonna be just an empty warehouse. So I think there was all the people involved really wanted it to stay together but they couldn't find a way so it was mm. on the verge of it so that's when we kind of came and just thought we both love beer um i've worked in a load of different beer pubs and obviously with my auntie and uncle being in it i've spent my life you know i have spent my school holidays painting stairs in the brewery <laughs> you know so what it's brewery all, were they at? Uh, Jules right. um, in Market Drayton they've got a load of pubs and they don't really sell out but right. um, yeah, so, I, I, that's like, you know, so I've always been immersed in it and I always kind of thought, I am not going into that as a point of principle. <laughs> you know, i definitely not, you know, and a 16-year-old George was saying, there is no chance I'm going into beer and pubs. <laughs> and then, you know, I started working in them and I thought, oh, this is all right. Um, I worked at Pure Craft in Birmingham, a purity tap room, and, you know, they had a load of crazy tap takeovers and just thought, well, this might be all right. And then Dad was keen as well. So we ended up just doing it. Bit of a crazy decision, really. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah. But well, it seems to be working out-ish. <laughs> um,
0: what, what were some of the challenges you faced there when it came to starting a, a new business and brand out of like a pre-existing, I haven't seen, pre, well, pre-existing brewery in the sense that the kit was here, the tap room was here and, and so on. And it, it already had this reputation for better or worse for different reasons at least locally did you feel you had to fight some battles to get people to understand that no this is a new thing we're doing something completely different yeah. like what was that experience
2: like well, i swearing okay yeah go for it the the biggest you know response that we got when we talked to any pub was fuck off immediately for a long time mm-hmm. and we didn't know any of this this whole thing you know the what I was talking about earlier like this it had to happen then because it was going to get ripped out. So we didn't have time for due diligence. We mm. didn't have time for scouting out. We didn't have time for walking around and gaining public perception. There was none of that. Um, we just had to do it. And so we did. Um, but yeah, like it was really difficult at first. You know, I was 20, 22 at the time and just walking into pubs for people that I don't know, they don't know me and saying, would you like some beer? And they're just getting told to fuck off. That was, that was, pretty brutal. I, now, you know, I understand. Mm. Because I understand the perception, and, and actually, you know, in the time machine, you go back and say, well, we just spent a whole lot more money that we didn't have at the time on um, making sure that people knew, but we just didn't know. We didn't know anything. We really didn't. Uh, we didn't know how to, we didn't have a name at the time. We didn't have an identity. We didn't have anything when we took over and i think like you know looking back you see a lot of these breweries that are setting up and they start off to absolute flyers but it's because they've been in the industry forever mm. and they know people and they've been going around talking to their pubs and they've been trialing brews and going into you know um having brewery kits in their basement and going down and, and giving pilots to people we have none of that um and so yeah it was really really difficult i, I it's I'll lay awake at night and just think, what the hell were we doing? This is crazy. Mm. It was a crazy decision. Um, Anyway, so we came in. um, Big thing that we did have was beer. So we brewed some beer and thought, this will be all right. We'll brew good beer, we'll go out and talk to people, and we'll be sound. People like good beer. And that is not the case. You probably well know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, they do not care if you got good Well, they do care if you've got good beer, but everyone does good beer now. You know, even in, just, just take the microcosm of Sheffield. At the time, uh, Heist weren't there and Smod weren't. Or Smod set up on the same weekend as us, so that was fun. But, you know, they, they come in, they're doing absolutely, you know, world-leading, well, certainly UK-leading beers. Um, so for us to go in and say, oh, we've got some good beer, promise. Um, was not enough for anyone. Um, so thankfully, the guys at J-Wing, who are around the corner, design agency, <laughs> we, we got some pro bono work done because there was such a bloody basket case. So they, they kind of came in and said, look, we'll, we'll help you out. Um, and they came up with a brand. And the whole thing, the beer comes first, is that's our strap. It was real. Mm-hmm. That was an accurate, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> an accurate description of us. Um, So we had, we brewed some beers that we all thought. The Debut, um, which is our our big, one of our biggest beers, was, that's again, literal, it was our first beer. Right. Um, And we just thought, God, what the hell are we gonna call this? Oh, it's the first one, Debut. So came in and did that, and they, they helped us come up with the brand, the whole thing, everything was chalk, you know, chalkboards. So that is our brand, you know, you'll see on any of our cans or any of our pump clips, if you've seen them, they're still handwritten. And we'd just scan them in. We'd just write the name of the beer and scan them in. Uh, so that's not left us. Um but yeah, so thank God for j Wing, I suppose, because otherwise we'd have been really because we didn't have money for a marketing mm. team at all. We had nothing. Yep. Um we'd just poured through We spent all our money on this bloody brewery and <laughs> had no fucking clue how to do anything with it. <laughs> apart from brew beer, I guess. So um She so yeah. literally sort to writing um, yeah, beer names with a Sharpie. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, like, yeah, literally, literally, we got, thankfully j gave us some A3 pads and a load of different pens and they said, right, hells, right, debut, right, at the time it was Sipper was our uh, pale ale. Um, again, it was a Session IPA, Sipper, not very imaginative. Um, but yeah, like going through that and they, and they just scanned them in and turned them into something quite pretty. Uh, and we just ran with it. So we released a load of cans, we released a load of pump clips that just had our uh, hand on them. Mm. And they still do. It's like a signature, I guess. I mean, it's,
0: it is very effective as, as someone that does graphic design and branding myself. You know, it, it, it there is something very captivating about it, the simplicity of it. And it's, it is very unique in the, in the way that it looks. And, um, you know, I, I think... The combination of working with your design agency and you know has, has, has really paid off.
2: Yeah, well, it was pretty scary when they said you've run out of pro bono because we were just <laughs> oh yeah. shit, okay, we're in on our own now. Yeah, but yeah, they gave us the structure and they gave us a brand book and all that kind of thing, which is, you know amazing of them. We just gave them a load of beer in return, unlabeled. Um, so yep they just wrote their own names on the beers. Mm. Um, but the um, but yeah, that was a whirlwind. Um, And then, you know, you go into the whole, how the hell do you sell it? How the hell do you make people want to buy this beer?
0: Yeah. Well, this is the question I was about to ask you, actually. As the sales director, what what are some of the biggest things you've learned about selling beer, obviously, from those early days of being told to fuck off? Like, you know, what (laughs) what are some of the nuggets now that that you've learned over the years and particular way as, as a sales rep for a brewery, you know, how do you approach different bars or, operators or bottle shops or whoever it is that purchases beer? I think...
2: Firstly, I know this is like an easy out, but the beer has to be good. And I know that I've just said, I know I'm contradicting myself, but the beer does have to be good. Mm. Um, It doesn't have to be amazing, but it has to be good. And it has to be consistently good. And to be honest, I was reflecting on this the other day. Um, one of our biggest you know, marketing sales initiatives is staying in the bloody game because as soon as you know, people have to hear about you however many times, 15 times, and I, I know that this is, if there is any sales, you know, any new breweries listening, that's like the worst advice, it's all advice I'd have hated when I was in that situation because it's like, oh, I want to do something now I suppose the other big one is spend hours, days in pubs and just work out what they actually want. What Mm. do they care about? Um, Social media as well, just glue yourself to it. That's what I did. Um, Follow all the best breweries. I mean, the ones that uh, initially we looked at was the pre-Lion thing, Magic Rock. We always would look at it and say, what would Magic Rock do? I mean, we were looking a lot, you know, we did the, the Hells as one of our big first beers, so we were looking a lot at what Camden were doing. Right. And just all all the big ones, but even, you know, now, um, more than ever, we're looking at it because it's such a big part of the branding of a business is the um, the dayers, the verdants, the cloud waters, all those guys, just looking at what they're brewing, firstly, Mm. uh, how they're marketing it, how they're doing it, what are they posting, what kind of content are they putting out. why they're doing it, where's it going, you know, all, yeah. all this stuff. Um, th- so that's it, like, copy, I guess, and make it your own. It's mm. probably my biggest piece of advice. But but as well, like, just concentrate so much on what pubs actually want. I mean, it's, we we always get caught in it where you'll look at, you know, the price, price lists from other brewers. Yeah. you got to remember, I think... A, Maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but I think a lot of places will get discounts on those. So going in, being a new brewery and p- putting out, you know, 4.5 session IPAs or at, at high prices, you're not going to have a good time. You've got to get people. Don't cheapen yourself, but you've got to make sure that you know you're there and that people can achieve, people can achieve there their margin targets, which is, you know, your 60 to 70%. And if they're not getting that, they're not probably not going to buy your beer. Mm. They're certainly not going to take a punt on you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's probably it.
0: It's interesting what you said about um, what pubs actually need because I, I've been doing some research into sales and how breweries sell to, um, you know, various retailers or venues and how those retailers and venues purchase beer from breweries so I've I've got a good snapshot at the moment um, that I'm working through of of how that works and it's it's interesting because I think the mistake a lot of breweries make is like you say they're trying to sell beer rather than trying to sell a solution to a problem which is why really anyone buys anything from anyone yeah and so they go with the mindset of like like say oh yeah our beer is great it's like well so what fuck a doodle do everyone's making or most people are making great yeah. or acceptable or well-rounded or what, however you want to phrase that drinkable beer um, rather than you don't what you don't see is people going into a venue really understanding the business owner or the bar manager's needs and making some recommendations so like let's say, let's say they've got a, a food menu and there's some dishes on there and you're like you know what would really go well with that? prawn,
2: mm.
0: stir fry that yeah. was the first thing that yeah, came yeah, to yeah. my head. I should have done a mate chef served with a cashew crumb mm. yeah, exactly. on a plum jus. Like, you know, you're not going well with that. We've got this beer that, and you talk about flavors and stuff and all of a sudden you're giving them a solution to their problem in a way that they can sell and market that themselves rather than just like, here's our prices, please buy beer from me. I need to feed my dog.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Taking a real critical view of what, you know, of yourself, who you are, why is someone going to stop Triple Point? What are we going to do for you? How are we going to make sure that we don't go out of stock? How are we going to make sure that it's as easy as possible for you to order from us? If you want to do it however, WhatsApp, email, you know, using your online platform, Seller, mm-hmm. Ebria, that kind of thing. I'm um, just not, not letting people down ever. Because you, you know, you're going to let people down. So whenever it's in your control, don't do it. Because there will come times where you'll do it and it'll be out of your control. And that's what, that's what you know, we've had it before. We've run out of beer, definitely. Um, but we've, we've hopefully built up enough, like, you know, love, because we've never let them down before, that they'll, they'll be understanding. When you are in, that's when you are in, um, when you're not in. Yeah, it's different. Everyone likes it. Every pub, as well. This is the other thing. Every customer likes it differently. Yeah. It's easy if there was a blanket thing, but you know, you, you just look on these like brewers' forums. I'm sure you're in it as yeah. well. They're, they're brewing beer professionals or whatever. And you'll say, you know, someone will put on, like, what's the best way to send beer? I want a mailing list. Has anyone got a mailing list? you say? If you send someone a mailing list, they go straight in the delete. you got to, and then, and some people will say, yeah, samples are brilliant. And others will say, yeah, I just chuck them away or like, give them out to customers because I'm not bothered. Mm. But then other people will say, yeah, I'm not going to touch you unless you send me samples. So it's like there's no right answer, to be fair. Yeah. Um, I think the, the other one is you will get inbound inquiries. You make sure that they feel special because it's a big deal. Otherwise, you know, you think about the money that you have to spend prospecting, getting another account, it's hundreds of pounds. Every single time, it's hundreds of pounds. Um, and if you get someone who comes into you and saves you that money you've got to make them feel real special yeah invite them to the brewery invite them for tours all that kind Mm. of thing because it's it's saving you a lot
0: well a lot of breweries don't think about the cost of acquisition you know or or have any spreadsheets or metrics that they can actually measure how much is it actually costing us to acquire these customers or it's like with marketing which obviously there's an overlap between sales and marketing but it's like with marketing there's a great book called The One-Page Marketing Plan. And in there, it opens up with this story about a CEO talking to one of his marketing executives, saying like, half of our marketing doesn't work. The trouble is, we don't know which half. <laughs> you know, and so yeah. they're spending all this money. It's like, well, we, we, we haven't been able to measure value. I think it's the same with sales and, and having those metrics and knowing how much it's costing you to if you are doing
2: those outbound leads. Well, I, I mean, I do the marketing as well here and it's massive as well like it's exact and to be honest i think with our business they're so intrinsically linked that you kind of need them in the same place really Mm. um i'd quite like to not be doing it you know managing both entirely myself but we've got a great sales team actually don't do them down you know you see people that'll spend hours on social media pictures and spend hours on you know different things and we've got it to a point now where hopefully we're putting out some decent stuff but we'll never spend more than half an hour on it if it's not done in half an hour you stop yep because it's not worth it then um and it, it, this you've got to put like those really strict limits on yourself if you're not if you're spending too much time on something that that's actually a non-starter mm. you've just got to quit because it's all money like time's money um, and you know, particularly if you're like the owner or founder or whatever, you kind of think of yourself as a bit, hopefully more valuable than than your hourly rate because you never pay yourself what you're worth. Yeah. Um. So you, you gotta say, look, this is really, you know, if you start spending hours on stuff that's useless, it's really costly. Mm. It can be really, 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 you know, you can. We see it all the time. Yeah.
0: So while we're talking about the brass tax of, of running a brewery, a lot of breweries and businesses at the moment are struggling um, with you know, inflation, the cost of living crisis, the recession, <laughs> uh, meaning that prices for raw materials have gone up to make beer, while general public spending is, is less All of course, accentuated by things like the war in Ukraine, Brexit, the pandemic, and the wholesale energy crisis and prices rising exponentially it, in real terms what does that look like for triple point day to day and how are you guys weathering the storm because, because you were saying back in there it's like whenever you see like the doors open the heating going you're like oh no yeah. <laughs> they, it's like someone's Freaking just open like the, you know the, the drawer at the bottom and all the
2: money's falling yeah. you know. it's the best <laughs> thing about this spot because the brewery's next to the bar so we're brewing like three times a week sometimes four at the moment so make sure the doors are shut you you know in the bars next to it you're heating that bar for you know not free but you know you're reusing that heat but no it is um it's tough times really tough times all the beers are more expensive um all the hops more expensive all the grains more expensive all the deliveries more expensive thank god petrol and diesel's come down a little bit now um but that was that was like horrible. You know, you're going to spend a hundred quid mm-hmm. on the van, and it wasn't full. It's was it was ridiculous. Um, so it's a bit. Uh, I don't know. I, I think really the slightly coward's answer from us is that we just wait and see what everyone else does, because we don't. You know, we don't. We're not big enough to, you know, for it to warrant being a leader in any of these. You know, increases or, you know, what people are brewing, all that kind of thing. So we're just kind of waiting to see how it goes. Some of the price of the beers are going up, has to happen. But again, like, you know, it's it's not just us that are hurting. And certainly in Sheffield, like, regardless of the economic climate, £5 for a pint of lager is going to be tough for anyone. So we don't want to, we don't want to, we're trying not to screw any of our guys and making sure they can maintain sensible prices without hitting their GP too much and hoping. Hoping our relationships allow us to share the burden a bit, rather than just going hard on 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 price. Um, yeah, it's, it's difficult times. It's difficult. As I was saying to you earlier, wasn't I? Thank God we got the tap room. Yeah. Um, just to keep the, the the cash coming in, because if we didn't, we, if we didn't have the tap room, you know, brass tacks would be really in trouble. Um, we certainly wouldn't have survived so far, but. You know, even now, like, I think we'd we really, really struggle without that, that tap room because yeah. it, you know, it, it's the best way to sell beer, mm-hmm. isn't it?
0: In terms of volume, what kind of percentages through the tap room and then like business? No, no, it, it
2: changes um, month on month. You know, if we have like three Chef United games
0: because you just ran a corner from Bramley, aren't yes,
2: you? Yes, yes, yeah. I should have prefaced that. But the, uh, yeah, then, you know, it, it's, it's quite a high percentage. I. Off the top of my head, I guess like 30, 35% goes through the tap room um, of, of revenue. Mm. Obviously, the margin on that probably makes up more than 35%, well yeah. definitely makes up more than 35%. Um, so, yeah, that is, that is the big thing we'd really struggle without the tap room. So, there's my advice do, yeah, a, they, do a tap room. Have <laughs> a tap <laughs> room. Yeah. Well, it's quite, it's quite
0: inconceivable that anyone opening a brewery now wouldn't have that kind of route to market. I mean, I certainly hope anyone listening to this who's thinking of doing it, don't do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> is, um, <laughs> it you know, is planning to have a, a, you know, a tat room or brew pub or whatever kind of I don't model? Know, it's brew. weird
2: though, isn't it? Because, you know, Polly's, um, yeah. they, they don't have one. Really? No, they're not bothered. They're, they're out. At they're out. least I
0: mean, North Wales, isn't it? Yeah, so. they're
2: out. They've just taken some really... Um, I don't know, but I imagine to be not very expensive space, and they're absolutely killing it. So I guess don't don't set it up in the in a good you know in an expensive area without a tap room. But I think there probably is like a game for that. I mean, they're pumping out just you know as I say market leading beers from uh, somewhere with I imagine to have pretty low overheads, mm. and that's kind of working for them. Well, it definitely is working for them. Um, I think there are a few, but I think what you, you do see is like, you know, unless your rent is pretty damn cheap, I think you're gonna really well I would I think we would really struggle with our tap room.
0: Yeah. It's interesting when I talk to brewers, either breweries that I'm working with in a consultancy basis are so more privy to those businesses or just, just conversations like this through um the podcast or just industry folk that I know, is that when you get breweries that are in locations that aren't like say like a, a, a city metropolitan area like this you, you know either they're out in the sticks or they're in some town where they, they might be the microbrewery or you know the more craft quote-unquote hop forward led type of you know what I mean by that yeah, right? yeah. type of brewery versus the more traditional ones that they're the ones who seem to be doing better And, you know, they might not be massive, either just because by virtue of where they are, it makes no sense to be like a 20 to 30 heck brew house, but, you know, um, 10 heck, or if we're going to work in barrels, maybe five barrel, not not that big at all, but, you know, they've got a tap room, they're making really good, accessible, hop forward and interestingly creative beers, they seem to be, you know, doing well still. But the people that I'm talking to, where it's you know, they've got big volumes. Um, you know, it's it's harder. They've got a hu- huge fulfil, you know, huge volumes to fill, and not as many buyers
2: as they had. It's interesting that you say it. Like our journey, when we first started, you know, the 25 heck kit, we can't brew much less than 25 heck on it. Mm. Um, and you know, not least because you know your, your overheads and the whole thing. Um, it's about the same price, isn't it? So it's not it's not much different to brew 10 hect to brew 20 hect to brew 25 uh comparatively, you know, this is the whole labor and everything that goes into it. So when we first started, we were in that game of having a hell of a lot more beer than we had customers. You know, we were brewing like once a week, maybe sometimes twice every 3 weeks because we just weren't shifting the beer. Um and actually we weirdly enough when we very first set off because our tap room was crap you know no one came we were considering shutting on saturdays because it just wasn't working right, wow. it's just terrible doing like 400 quid um <laughs> 70, funny to think about really um but the um we we were having a real problem because we had to fill up our taps right so we we're having to brew beers and we weren't shifting them and i, I just can't like i can't imagine not like now, especially now with the costs of everything going up, like how much of a pickle we would have found ourselves in. Fortunately, now we've grown into our brew kit, but it really was that way around. Right. Um, and so I have, you know, a lot of sympathy for anyone who's lost customers or whatever. I mean, there are pubs going under as well. Mm. Um, so there are less customers. Um, it's really, really difficult. And especially it's really, really difficult to do without devaluing your product. You know, and saying, like, oh, we've got a load of beer, we've just got to shift it. Yeah. Because you get in that game. As soon as you're in that game, it's very hard to get out of that game. Mm.
0: Um, well, you set a precedent and a standard for yourself then when you start discounting yourself to that point where yeah. people almost come to expect it. And it's, once you start
2: driving those prices down, it's hard to then. Well, then, you know, your prices go up. down, so you put less good ingredients in. Mm. And then the less good ingredients are in, and you've got a less good beer, which is probably worth the price that you then set it at. Which still doesn't make you any money, <laughs> so yeah. you just, you know, you, it's a, a vicious circle. And it's one that, you know, I, I won't lie, when we first got going, it was something that we really had to fight against, because mm. we had, uh, you know, all this beer, and we were just like, God, how the hell are we gonna sell it? Well, yeah. you know, cheapest way, best way to do it, cheapest way to do it, actually, is to just decrease your price, because you're not having to spend, you know, the the, opt- the alternative to get a crack sales team in and, and Get a marketing, you know, consultant, people in to do it all. and That probably is more expensive. You can control the price, You can't really control those when, yeah. when you've got them in. Um, so yeah, we did have to make that decision. It really hurt. You know, we lost money at a staggering rate for the first year. Mm. Um, you know, we had like one month where in our first year where we uh, made like a couple of hundred quid, and we were all patting ourselves on the back, having. A, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs>
2: yeah. We've not lost money this month Great uh, And then we went into COVID of course Which was great So uh, that was that, It was trial by fire when we first set up And, and you know you, you, It's a similar situation now Obviously less the pandemic hopefully um, For a lot of these guys so, you know, I'm not saying we're immune Who knows yeah. what happens in the next 6-12 months Oh
0: I mean What do you think then the outcome will be for brewing and hospitality industry? Like, what, what, if you can, you know, look at your crystal ball, like, what do you think it'll look
2: like this time of next year? I really don't know. I like to think, you know, what, I think the, the nice thing to hear a lot of people say is, you know, the, the, the good ones will survive, the bad ones won't. But to be honest, I've seen some pretty good ones go in the past six months or so. And I'm kind of thinking we're not that much better than them. Granted, uh, yeah, so you, you just don't know. Like, who knows? Mm. Cash is gonna be key, getting cash out of customers. It's always difficult, no more, you know, never more so than now. Well, that's
0: another thing that people at the moment, in the UK at least, um, we get a lot of listeners from the USA, so it might be different over there. Um, but in the UK at least, you know, the, the whole industry is built on credit. And at the moment, I'm talking to breweries where, you know, the the credit is just being racked up by the the trade and on trade, or even off trade, you know, bottle shops and stuff, owing breweries money. But then, you know, breweries owe suppliers money. So there's lots of suppliers saying, hang on, you've not paid us for these kegs, this malt, etc., cetera, et cetera. But, and, and there's a lot of people I'm seeing complaining about, Th- this system of offering credit is broken like i mean what what are your thoughts on that and and if there was a solution in your mind what do you think it would be to 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 change that
2: yeah the fact of the matter is we get very little credit from anyone right. ever so that that you know again it's why the tap room is so important for us because we get that money then and there or the day after you know it goes into our bank account um because we don't get much from anyone like, you know, if we want to buy some t-shirts, if we want to buy some glasses, if we want to buy some hops, if we want to buy some grain. I think we get some on our grain now, which is nice for them. But yeah, normally they're saying, we're not even going to start your order until you've paid yeah. us all the money. <laughs> pro forma, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is fair enough, you know, and you say, well, can we have some credit? And they say, no. And you go, okay. <laughs> so, we've only been trading with you for years, but okay. Um, so yeah, you, you do. we get very little. And. I suppose my honest opinion on it is as soon as the beer I, I understand not paying pro forma, I really do because if you're a bar, certainly if you 're operating on a tight cash flow you I, I understand them wanting to have sold the beer prior to paying us. I, I get it i don't you know uh, in an ideal world, it wouldn't be like that, but I get it. What I do find quite annoying is when you get you know, long, long credit terms and you kinda, And we're having to chase people because that's again, that's us. It's, I've got better stuff to do than pay, than spend time chasing people. I really do. And it, sometimes it takes so long and you spend so much, you spend hours doing it for certain, you know, one customer, you know, you can do that. And you spent like, if you look at it over the couple of weeks that you've been doing it, you spent half a day on it. Oh, how about we put this payment plan? How about this payment plan? No, just pay us the bloody money. Because it's not, because it's taking up my time. And you know, when you're in small teams, small breweries like this, it takes up so much of your time. Mm -hmm. So that's almost my biggest thing. I'm actually not bothered. If if we just give everyone 30 days, and everyone paid in 30 days, not bothered. It's actually, that's my my biggest issue, is the amount of time that we have to spend. Certainly smaller breweries that don't have accounts departments, credit departments, all that kind of thing. Um, The amount of time we spend chasing money that we've you know someone's agreed to pay us it's fucking mental um and it just puts such a strain on it and it puts such a strain on the relationship as mm-hmm. well with the with the customer because you know if you get if you have to get heavy and, and go legal they're never gonna buy from you again yeah and I, I get that as well i get it mm. um so you kind of have to be nice it's, re, it's really difficult
0: well, it's a very personable industry as well like you were saying yeah. earlier about you know, it's not one size fits all when it comes to sales. It's also grounded in relationships.
2: Some of them are mates, though. Like, <laughs> it's really difficult. On the credit side, I- I'm not bothered if people want to pay after they've served the beer, sold the beer, made the money on the beer. I get that. It's a business, like everything else. Like, we, we prefer it. A lot of industries operate on credit. Mm. It's just the way it goes. Um, but the um, but it would just be good if, if, if people just paid it, I suppose. I mean, a lot of our customers, to be fair, are asking for direct debits now, which is something that I didn't expect. But I think it's the same for pubs, you know, we're talking, I'm talking, being selfish, really, saying, oh, we've got this, you know, we've not got accounts departments, we have to chase the money, blah, blah, blah. Well, a lot of the guys that we deal with are pubs, and they actually don't have accounts departments either. So they don't have, you know, the big pub groups and stuff, it's no problem. You're just chasing an account person and mm-hmm. they saw you out. With some of these pubs, like it is a pain in the ass for them as well. It's taking up their time. So they have to choose between spending an hour putting in a payment plan because they've racked up a little bit too much debt and they don't have the cash to pay it. That's an hour that they're not spending driving their businesses. It's a difficult situation. But, you know, <laughs> it's a selfish brewer. I think the official brewer's answer is cash on delivery cash Cash on delivery um is the right thing but yeah difficult
0: yeah well to end on a more positive note what are some of the good things you're seeing in craft beer at the moment particularly in this turbulent time and what's going well for triple point at the moment in particular
2: uh in the industry beer quality has gone way up yep way up Ah, it's just fantastic do you know um everyone's doing good well i'm trying a lot a lot a lot of good beer you know you go to most crafty pubs and all that kind of thing and it's great and i know that we're all supposed to be super against it but you see a lot of these guys you know if you think about five ten years ago you walk into tesco and there's a big range of craft beer it's unthinkable isn't it it's what everyone was crying out for now you do go and you get that and i think what is really showing is that craft beer, you know, your hazy pale ales, the stuff that, you know, we do really well and that a load of, well, hopefully, and that a load of these other breweries are doing really well are selling and, peop- and they are going into more and more customers' hands. It's becoming much less of a niche. Um, you know, we, we're in a, a regular uh, account on a couple of music venues locally, mm. mainstream music venues, and, you know, we're their kind of third and fourth best Sellers for our cryo the hazy pale ale and you've got you just, God, imagine that five years ago yeah. even five years ago no chance it's lager 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 and then lager and then maybe a cider so you know i think overall i think the overall acceptance and the the demand for i, I don't even know if it is craft beer just beer and, and interesting beers it's gone through the roof so i think that's massively positive I can't you can't get away from that you know i went to uh Especially, especially cask, I think cask beer has gone through the roof in terms of quality as well. Like, um, I messaged them actually, but I went into the ale club and Neap's End, I know they've been doing quite a lot of really interesting uh, hazier beers recently, but I had, I had this like hazy cask beer and I remember, because I, tr- I remember it, it, three years ago I had one like super hazy kind of neapery cask uh, from Electric Bear, uh, words or something. I think that was the name of the beer. I remember, like, the Game Changer, you know, that's the best beer I've ever had. Absolutely love it. Mm. Um, but it's, a, it's the only one I've seen. And I just wandered, in, wandered down to the pub, just downstairs from me, popped in, pint of locally brewed beer, it's brewed, like, a, a, a mile away, and it's just as good. It's just this fantastic, like, cask, uh, hazy pale ale. I just think that is fantastic, isn't it? That that is, like, a thing now. Because, you know, cask has always been so... You know bright is best and now like you know you're getting these really kind of interesting new styles into cask i think it's probably going to be the savior of that i hope anyway yeah um so that was fantastic that's that's all lovely positives for us um i mean we spend a lot of time comparing ourselves to other brewers and the other beers and we're starting to make inroads i think genuinely you know taking it taking a uh an external view, I guess, but you look at some of the beers that we're brewing and, you know, critically taste them I and I think that they are going up in quality mm-hmm. every, every month, every two months, you know, we try and a new hazy pail and we're thinking that's actually getting closer to the, to the, to the A-League. Um, so that's awesome for us. And also the, the appetite for our weird and wonderful lagers. Fantastic. We, we never thought that. Never we thought we we, we we did actually at the very start we thought we we're gonna major on lager. We had absolutely no luck. And now we're getting a little bit of luck. People are willing to try the lagers. The more interesting ones, the Viennas, the mm. the darker ones, whatever, anything we do, people are getting interested in it. And I, I mentioned it earlier, day is Tappy Pills. It's a dry hot lager, I mean, that's crazy. Again, five years ago, where the hell were you seeing that? Yeah. Never, 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 never. And now it's like mainstream, well, not mainstream, but certainly more in the middle stream, I suppose. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: but yeah, it's, it, it's brilliant.
0: Yeah. I guess there's that phrase, isn't it? The rising tide floats all the boats, but if all yeah. the boats get in floated, then it's like, how, how do you, you know, pick between between the, oh another way of putting it is you know how, like you can now pay for like a little Twitter authenticated blue tip, yeah yeah you know it's like I don't know if you've seen the film The Incredibles where the villain Syndrome is like soon everyone will be super then no one will be yeah you know it's like how how do you differentiate yourself and I guess that comes back to what you're saying about you know having the branding that stands it, it, it's out it's really interesting
2: yeah it is an interesting marketing. thing I mean I suppose um, I know that this is can be a contentious topic but. I think you, we, certainly in our tap room, we're seeing a lot more um, people that aren't uh, I suppose older white men drinking beer, mm-hmm. craft beer and our beer and all that kind of thing we're seeing, you know at first when we first started and granted it was a pretty crap venue so you really had to like your beer to come here, <laughs> um, <laughs> that was happening but now we're seeing you know such a, such a higher range of people uh students coming in and drinking the beer which is super cool um a, a lot of women and a lot of people that aren't that you know fit that general you know or weird kind of stereotype of what a craft beer drinker looks like or mm. it's, it's you know what they're interested in and i i hope that that kind of counteract I, I like the idea i think there was perhaps a stigma certainly among my friends that Craft beer was like, you know, inaccessible, hard to drink, all that kind of thing. And in my optimistic view, I like to think that the overall increase in quality of it is making it, you know, pe- people are trying it more, more people are drinking it, more people are doing it. Um, and it's just becoming more accessible for everyone. And hopefully that's like, that, you know, the rising tide, the demand goes up with it. You know, you've got a lot of better beers, a lot of better brewers. Uh, brewing some amazing beers, you know, even in here in Sheffield, you know, there's some unbelievable brewers. I mentioned Smod earlier, but Neepsend, yep. great. Heist, great. Abbeydale, great. Loxley, great. You know, uh, I've definitely missed some people out in there, so please forgive me. <laughs> Never
0: start a list. Yeah,
2: exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you, you drink, you're drink, drinking like, you know, constantly I'm just going out and drinking Sheffield beers that are fantastic. And I hope that that just means that more and more people want to drink it, I mm. guess. And hopefully that counteracts it.
0: Yeah, I know for me with Emmanuel's, which is just like a, a oh god, I to bring it in there to I can't leave really <laughs> like, you. Hey, where's the stop Sorry. going? No, but no, I, I know with, with me. I mean, it's, it's a one U.S. It's not even a U.K. barrel. It's one U.S. barrel in my cellar. Like I know that when I when I with some of the beers I'm making now, like go back to five six years ago um, when I started it commercially. Like, I, I if I could go go f- jump forward in time to now from then, I'd be like, oh my goodness, companies making beers like this. But because the quality is so good on so many of the beers now, if something's not quite on point, like I did a, um, a a hazy IPA the other day, and I can't, I don't know whether it's just some bio transformation that happened through dry hopping, or whether it was just um, that there was still the the ye it was a dry version of the London fog that I used whether it just oh, yeah. retained hot matter longer than the verdant strain that I'm generally use. Yeah we use a lot which of that. drops doesn't drop brighter but it just seems to not retain it basically whatever was happening with this yeast basically made it um give it some hot burn. And and so I'm just thinking like I can't put that out. That's another fucking batch I'm wasting. And I would have never done that like six years ago. Because I'd have been all like, yeah.
2: You definitely wouldn't. You know, because I'd have been like,
0: firstly, it'd have been like, it'd have blown the hell out of whatever else I was brewing at the time. But the standard is so good now that I'm just like, every beer has to be like
2: 100% on point.
0: Not 95% on point, 100% on
2: point. The amount of beer that we've thrown away in the last 18 months is staggering because we'll do a full 25 pack, and it's slightly off. We did it actually the day, Cirrus which is one of our beers um, and that was thankfully we caught it before the dry hop so the, the cost wasn't huge huge it was just quite big and we were trying it and it picked up, uh, we think we probably left the yeast a little too long between brews um, and. It just picked up like a slightly odd flavour to it. Now, obviously, the beer wasn't finished fermenting. Um, it was, and, and it probably would have been covered by the dry hop. I don't know. But, you know, Alex came in to me, we both tried it. He said, I think we've got a problem here. Both tried it. He said, my inclination is dump. And I said, yeah, dump, easy. As you, exactly as you say, a couple of years ago, two, two three years ago, when we first started, we'd have probably just said, phew, God, let's see how it goes and we'll, we'll chuck a load of extra dry hop on to try and mask it. No more, because you get seen you know, mm. straight away. You, you look at all the best breweries, I've never had a bad day of beer, never had a bad Verdant beer, never had a bad Polly's beer, don't think I've ever had a bad Abbeydale beer, don't think I've had a bad, with any of these you know, beers in Sheffield. You just don't get away with it. Yeah. It just doesn't happen.
0: Well, I think consumers are more educated now generally the types of consumers that would drink craft beer um
2: are, are way more educated now about what a good beer is and bar staff yeah bar staff are just they're so bloody cynical now you know you put a beer in you say oh we've tried to do this you know chatting with them some of our you know best accounts you know we'll go in and we'll talk about beers this is something that we've done we're really excited about it can you give us a feedback it's fucking scathing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just like and, and you know when we first started maybe we wouldn't have had that feedback but it's scathing and it's really good like really really good feedback negative good feedback because they're saying look I thought this was a little bit you know we're getting people coming in and saying, oh, it's a little tannic. You're just like, fuck it off, mate. You hell, Where did you get your Cicero? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then you kind of go back and you're trying the beers with that in mind. And you kind of think, well, you know what? You're right. But they're not bothered. They're just, they try you know, hundreds of different mm. beer a year in the similar style to what we're brewing. And if they're normally right. You just kind of yeah. think that's fair enough. I suppose the really nice thing now is that no news is actually good news. Yeah. Because people are gonna tell you if it's crap. They'll tell you straight up. Well, it's like the Amazon review, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know, this is bad. And, and you, when we first got going, it's like we'd be putting beers into pubs or, or bottle shops or whatever, and they try the beer and they kind of keep shtum about it because they either weren't totally confident to talk to us or they felt bad or whatever. And, and now, yeah. like, you will get it. You'll, you, they'll say like you know I've tried this beer not up to much and we'll kind of be left with thinking oh god we've got 40 kegs of that <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. but um, you know but it, you, it is good it is good because it's you know you've got your month long problems and then you've got your six month problems and your year problems and normally a bad beer is a month problem you just got to fix it, sort it throw it away or do something with it but um, yeah it is it's quite nice, though, isn't it? I think the industry's on the up. I just hope that people go out. I suppose. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess time will tell. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, thanks. Thanks for spending some time with today being oh, on the no podcast, problem. George. Um, how can people get all of your beers if they don't live in Sheffield? Or if they do visit Sheffield, how can they visit the tap room?
2: Oh, we're about 10 minutes from the station. So, so if, you're ever no in if you're not yeah. in Sheffield. If you're ever in been. Sheffield, yeah. get yourself down. Um, and uh, we've got burgers from Just a Burger on site, so it's a good time. Oh. Particularly in the mm-hmm. summer, Like we've got a big beer garden, um, which we're probably going to remodel next year, which I'm very excited about. But, the, um, but yeah, it's a great place to sit out and drink. Um, beer fresh from the tank which a is Twisted nice. Burger mm. yeah Twisted Burger so good <laughs> excellent uh, but then if you'd like to try any of our beers uh, uh, follow us on Instagram if you want to keep part of the new releases just Triple Point Brew and we've got a web shop so if anyone wants any beer just get in touch or just do it on the online shop awesome
0: and I'll just finish up by saying they are really good beers I'm not just saying that because you're <laughs> on the you. podcast um, so if anyone is listening to this and you want to try some beers from Sheffield in your bottle shop or that room your email address george is george at triple point dot beer. super cheers well it's that time again at the bar for another week of the hot four podcast don't forget to subscribe to the show on itunes spotify and all other good platforms be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week, cheers.